All right. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are again. Dominic, finally diving into Survivor 43. How are you feeling? Feeling good. I, I don't know if again is the right word, given that it's been quite some time since we did anything uh, mainstream Survivor related over here on on the main feed. But I guess we have done so in the past and we can always come, you know, we can always trade on that reputation. So here we are once again. Once or twice, we may have come in here and talked about Survivor from time to time over the years. But yes, Survivor 43 is underway and has been underway for a couple of weeks at this point. I want to just off the top here, apologize for the delay in getting going with this season uh, without getting too much into the details. I have uh, moved in the last month or so. I'm now in my fourth apartment in about five weeks but i'm finally settled down here at the place i'm actually going to be at least for the next couple of months uh so excited to be getting into everything along the way and dom before we do get into the like super specifics of it all let's just take a kind of broad strokes look at survivor 43 here through the first three episodes how are you feeling about this season i'm feeling cautiously optimistic i suppose it is striking to me that even though we've had three episodes and those three episodes may have had the highest total runtime of any three first three survivor episodes uh, that we've seen before where we had the the two hour premiere uh with only one person going home there we had the the 90 minute episode two and now we're back to the usual fare of a a one hour episode three but between that uh that total runtime which is almost australian Mm survivor-esque in its length i feel like there are a lot of people that I really don't have a strong view on just yet, and there is a lot of season left to be played, a lot of time to form some kind of distinct opinion, hopefully uh, before those people are just on the way uh, out the door. But I, I don't know. I, I'm feeling like I don't really have strong that many strong takes or that many uh, people I'm loving to love or loving to hate or hating to love or, or what have you, even though... Uh, compared to most other seasons, this is, you know, episode five, episode six, runtime territory by now. So I don't want to jinx it by any stretch, and apologies in advance if that is how this ultimately turns out. Uh, in retrospect, you can blame me, everybody, but as things stand right now, I'm honest, I'm having a hard time seeing any paths other than, like, a long series of very questionable production decisions, which so far, fingers crossed, I'm feeling okay about this season compared to many of the last uh, few seasons over the years. I'm having a hard time seeing how this goes on to be like an actively bad season. Like the, the two things that are the most important to me, especially in the early days in terms of like placing my expectations for any given survivor season is the cast and the way that the editing is kind of telling the story. And to this point, with the understanding that, you know, they've had much more time with which to work than they generally do in the early days or any days of a Survivor season, I'm feeling very, very good along both of those lines. Now, there are some people certainly standing out a bit more than others and some kind of some people kind of in the background more than others. But to this point, uh, as far as the by a mile, two things I care the most about at, at this time in a season go, feeling very, very optimistic about how all of this is hopefully uh, going to continue pl- to play out going forward. But to return and, to... Oh, sorry, and, go. And, and that's what I'm trying to tease out at this stage is I, I think I agree with what you're saying for the most part. Wouldn't put it in quite such uh, strong terms, but there we go. That's the dynamic when of the would you? for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm trying to tease out how much of that is pound for pound the editing or production decisions are 
going in the right direction compared to maybe 41 and 42 are the best comparison points, but however far back that you want to go as well, versus just we have seen more of these people in three episodes than you would expect to, and that is anchoring all of our perceptions up until this point. So I have been a big fan of the extended episode runtimes to this point. I, I think I heard that this was the first season premiere since Heroes versus Villains, I want to say, to get the t- full two hours and only have one elimination. And then I can't really even remember any other instances where we just kind of randomly, or as far as I can tell, randomly got a 90-minute episode for the second week, but I was a big fan of that. I love that we get, especially during the early days where everyone's kind of settling in and conceivably at least making some of like the most important bonds that will impact the entire season. I like that we get a closer look at that. Uh, Dom, I'm going to give you an opportunity early here to flex your edgelord of extinction muscles. Tell me why you hate the <laughs> fact that we get these extra uh, amounts of time in these episodes. I don't hate it. I just don't think that it automatically translates into having better content or a better season after that. And Australian Survivor, which is a theme we'll be coming back to uh, repeatedly, I think, over the course of this episode, I think that is the perfect illustration of that. It, it almost could be an experiment designed to illustrate that and really drive it home to the point where it's like, OK, we get it already. Can you just can you move on to something else mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, they have what is it close to twice or over twice the the total runtime total length of an average survivor season and so often it feels like they somehow manage to do less and to do so much more of the same without runtime and i don't think we're we're heading in that route. yeah i think that uh just the the vibe and the tone of the season is getting off to a good start but i would caution us from seeing its praises too soon when again I, so much of what i'm confused about so far is like I'm glad that we're seeing more Survivor, but I feel like despite that, we're seeing about as much or even less potentially than we would of some people. So you think back to this new era of Survivor, hypothetically, with 41, where our eventual winner in Erica is part of this tribe, which just gets absolutely erased from existence, basically, for uh, the first uh, part of the season. And then when they go on to win, that is in part what makes it so surprising and so much of a blind side is every... If you have any kind of an edric bone in your body or really just any concept of how to structure a narrative properly, you're thinking, well, if this tribe is going to go on to make up so much of the of the end game and uh, you know, our, our winner and her strongest relationships are going to come from this tribe, surely you would think we would have seen these people at some point, uh, even just in passing. And that never really happened. Uh, and so I'm stealing myself now for... Uh, here on 43, if someone from uh, Coco, aka the Blue Tribe, hope I'm getting that right, uh, goes on to win, then if they have not got much more than they're getting now, by the time we get to episode 5, episode 6, or the eventual merge, which it kind of seems so far like we're not going to have a swap this season, uh, logistically speaking, and I, I actually would be A-OK with that, based on what we've seen so far, but if we get to that point, I don't want to be in that same position of trying to uh, mind game who the end gamers are going to be just based on the fact that, oh, we've seen this person and we haven't seen this other person, even though with the extra however many dozens of minutes of screen time, we, we certainly could have seen that other person if they wanted to include them and make them a relevant part of that story. So I would have certainly loved to have seen much more of Erica, especially during the early days than we ultimately got to. And it was very strange that whatever episode it was, we roll through like halfway into the season And she's talking about how, oh, everybody knows Heather and I are the tightest duo in the game. And the audience didn't even know it it at that point. However, 
I would gladly sacrifice that sort of thing to get to where we are right now, which is I continue to believe, and I think we talked a bit about this last season, but for anyone new to the program, that we are at long, long last after over a decade of us complaining about not being here before in the era of Survivor, where I just have a next to impossible time ruling anyone out. And I think the treatment that specifically Erica got has gone a long way for me along those lines. And I'm willing to make that trade off. I'm sure other people are not, but I, I hate and hated very vocally hated for the first many, many, many years that we did this podcast being in the era of, well, if we haven't, seen this person early and often and in very glowing terms you can go ahead and just rule them out and there might be if you're lucky three or three or four people left uh in the like winner mix by the time you make it to the swap i would gladly sacrifice a bit of the winner's story up to a significant amount of the eventual winner's story to spend the rest of my life in this zone of I don't feel comfortable ruling anyone out, and I certainly no longer feel comfortable locking anyone in as like a clear person who's going to make it to the finale. Like in 41 and 42, we were talking about Shan obviously being like the breakout star of the pre-merge, and Evie being a breakout star in the pre-merge, and last season, Omer being like the very clear narrator and power player for as long as he was in the game, and none of those people even made it to the finale, and I'm very happy to make the trade-off of a less predictable edit for being able to keep people alive in my mind as conceivable winner candidates for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. well, let's talk about some of these people then and just the, the general thrust of the episodes so far, because I think when we do this on a week by week basis, uh, there's a lot more specific stuff to get into. And we go into quite granular detail uh, a lot of the time. We go in these quite deep rabbit holes about what could this risk mean or what could this confessional mean and so on and so forth. With us taking more of this uh, big picture view, what are the things that really stood out to you over the course of the first few episodes or any things that you think are worth uh, touching on in more detail? So I, to, it, this may just be kind of part of the same conversation about runtime, but this is a point that I heard Rob Sesternino make uh, over on RHAP after the premiere, and I thought he was so right that I'm just going to start off by completely plagiarizing it because I think it really is something worth repeating. One of the things that I've really liked uh, during the early portion of this season is compared to season 41 and 42, it feels a lot less rushed to me. And again, I'm happy to grant that some of that probably does indeed have to do with more episode runtime. But I also feel like just from a game perspective, we're not hearing about the monster being this all consuming presence that everyone needs to constantly be on the lookout for. And it feels like the production side of things it is scaling back a little bit particularly during the early portion and we you know we still of course do have people going off on their journeys and we have the sweat versus savvy and everything but it, it feels to me like a bit more of a return to normalcy for a lack of better for a lack of a better term there and i like that a lot that they're really just letting survivor it speak for itself i suppose rather than trying to like jam a bunch of stuff down the audience's throat straight away or you have you picked up on that at all or am i just yeah seeing what I, rob I, wants me to see <laughs> no I, I do think that they explicitly were throwing 
the, the whole kitchen sink, uh, or throwing everything at the kitchen sink, held it both ways, uh, in 41 and 42, and seeing what stuck, and seeing what they did want to carry forward. And we were very concerned at the time that their feedback loop there was not going to be reliable, and the stuff which should have been a one-and-done failed experiment would become a staple of the show, and stuff which maybe did have potential but didn't go down so well on, on this first try would just get discarded kind of a one-world style without any uh, further attempt in the future. Uh, and it seems like most of the successful stuff has been carried forward, which is good. Some of the, I would say, more up-in-the-air things, like the shot in the dark, which... I, as I recall from last season, I was more critical of than, than you. Um, that seems to be less of a feature of the show, but because it's just baked into what the show is now. So we have uh, Gabler, for example, back in that premiere, just uh, with this offhand reference to, oh, maybe I'll play my shot in the dark and you know, leave my fate in the hands of the survivor guards. And it's almost uh, assumed that the the viewer at home will know what the shot in the dark is because that is just part of what the new era of Survivor is. And so there, there's still some of that uh, institutional memory uh, developing that the show relies on. It's just that that relies on stuff from the past two seasons now as opposed to God knows what from however many seasons before that. Well, I like that. And I think that 43 at least potentially stands to benefit a great deal from the fact that all of the players have seen 41 and 42 as they've gone out of their way to mention a couple of times. And I think they are not assuming that everyone watching this season has definitely seen 41 and 42, but erring on the side of, okay, if you're watching survivor 22 seasons in or 22 years, rather into its run, you probably know roughly what is going on at this point. And I think that is a very good thing for the show that gives them a lot more, uh, room to play along the way. And I also think that just from a game perspective, the fact that the cast is familiar, at least somewhat, with how things worked on the last couple of seasons in this new era could be a very, very good thing for how the decision making goes. Like, I'm always, virtually always at least, going to be in favor of the players themselves making more informed decisions than it seems like the producers were into for a little while there where they were trying to like blindside them it seemed like with twists as often as possible uh, i'm i'm very happy that we're kind of at the state where people know what's going on and we can see kind of how the game is going to start to evolve in this new era uh, so in light of that uh heightened sense of clarity what did you make of this uh subplot from this episode where uh, ellie tries to I really do not like the overuse of this word, but I'm going to uh, put my foot on the pedal here to gaslight Gabler into almost like misunderstanding or forgetting the rules of his own uh, idol, where it seems like. And part of the, the issue here is a lot of the behind the scenes stuff or what the answers would be if you were to ask the, uh, the producers a hypothetical question. We don't really have access to that ourselves. But to me, this seemed like this really harebrained scheme where all it takes is uh, either anyone in the group not liking what they're seeing here and tipping off Gabler or Gabler just having any kind of initiative of his own and either reading his parchment or uh, even unknowingly asking the producers at some point, oh, hey, uh, just by the way, how does my idol work here? And any of that at all would have been enough to blow up the scheme, which is exactly what makes it the kind of thing that makes a great TV where someone just maybe enjoys that taste of power a little bit too much and lets it go to their head and... Uh, goes for this big swing, which is almost doomed to kind of boomerang back and hit them in the face. But what kind of uh, left me with some questions about it was, 
I don't know just how ambitious of a play this really was. And like that, I, I want that to be because I, the psychological motivations or the exact thought processes of people are tough to figure out as opposed to just some technicality on the fine print, which maybe could be clear or should be clear, but actually is not when I'm watching this on the episode. So amb- ambitious was the word that came to mind for me as well. And I might be kind of erring on the side of generosity because I really like everything else I've seen out of Ellie. But yeah, it did seem like there were a million ways for that plan to backfire against her in a spot where, at least based on what we've seen on TV, she probably wouldn't be in any kind of immediate danger without doing something along those lines to get in her own way. And maybe it's a a testament to the idea that we may not be as far into the players knowing how everything works because they've seen the last couple of seasons than I was trying to make it sound like earlier. Like the fact that she thought this was something that could conceivably work and that Gabler might not know how his own idol works may speak more to the idea that there's a lot of confusion going on out there uh, on along a number of different lines. When you say you like everything else you've seen from Ellie so far, how much of that everything is the striking resemblance to uh, Jersey's own Michelle Fitzgerald, uh, who, like, maybe Ellie is the Hugo to her bar, like, she is the evil twin, and that's part of the appeal, but uh, fill me in on that. It's certainly non-zero. I am... It's not not part of the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, Ellie, I feel like, has been one of the standouts, and and to uh, kind of set up the overall format for this podcast, we're going to do... Yet again, a must-lose draft where we'll talk through people uh, and take them off the board with the goal of picking people who will not win. And at a certain point, I don't know when it's going to be, uh, Ellie will come up once again. But while we're on it, let's not let's not just put an immediate pin in it and then forget to get back to this later. Uh, what I, I mean, it very much seemed like to me, and you tell me if you disagree, that in the first whatever it's been four or six days that the uh, probably four days that the opening two episodes covered it seemed to me like ellie was pretty much calling all the shots is surely overstating it but it seemed like she was the standout kind of social and strategic butterfly and was doing so very effectively in those first couple of episode couple of episodes and i think if she had perhaps a bit more michelle fitzgerald in her kind of hanging back and letting other people take the reins for a little bit may not have been the worst idea in the world instead of trying to go for this like high wire act against Gabler, especially at a point where they're not even going to a vote anytime soon necessarily. Yeah. I wonder if, so there's always been this dynamic in survivor. If you kind of want to be doing the opposite of what other people are doing. So if there's a tribe where, uh, everyone wants to be the leader. You don't want to be throwing your hat in the ring, trying to be the alpha at the top of the food chain. You'd much rather be sitting back, letting them fight it out and just uh, hiding in the shadows until the time come maybe uh, to, to make your move and, and to rise up there. Versus if your tribe is completely rudderless and chaotic, then maybe if you can uh, put a firm hand on the tiller there and guide it in a certain direction, then that's going to be, you know, that's going to be an easier tribe to exert your will over. Uh, I wonder how that, all of that changes in a world where, you know that everyone out there is a super fan. And is, if, in case you didn't know, they will tell you happily to your face and Jeff will invite them to tell you the moment that they're on the mat. And there, there's going to be no sense of, oh, I, I'm going to lie about this to hide about how much of a super fan I am. They, they know it and they love it and they embrace it and they want everyone else to know too. And, and, that's, and it's kind of smart in the sense that if everyone is doing that, that is a thing that you get to bond over. And if you were 
one like gormless recruit who you know one of lynn spellman's uh, interns found at some whole foods in la or whatever uh, back in the day like that would really isolate you in this new era of survivor like that, w- that wouldn't fly anymore um so even if you are actually that person you have this big incentive to play up how much of a fan you are and where i'm going with this is that it, it seems like this idea of trying to not be this overt strategic threat takes on this whole new meaning at a time when it's kind of implied that anyone who is out there automatically has this knowledge of the game and how well they can execute on that is another matter and there's no shortage of like daniels from last season right or you know the 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 list goes uh, on and on of people who could read off all of the survivor trivia in the world but could not actually play survivor when it comes down to it but i think that I, you, you see where I'm going here, right? Like it's, it, it feels like that old consideration of I'm going to sit back and let the game come to me. I, I guess it's kind of assumed that if you're doing that now, there must be some strategic purpose behind it and that you're doing that because you're the fan who knows that historically that's the best thing to do as opposed to, well, they don't know what Survivor even is and they're just handing themselves on the beach because this is their free vacation. So I really got to commend you for... We haven't talked explicitly about this season yet, but I think you probably could have reasonably assumed that I would be a big Ellie fan coming in here, and it took you about 15 minutes to somehow set me up to start trashing Ellie uh, into this podcast, <laughs> so job well done there. But uh, I don't disagree with what you're getting at. I just think that this is probably the most glaring case to this point of what we have, uh, what has conventionally become known as like fancy play syndrome in the context of survivor. Uh, and again, especially I feel like when there's no guarantee that you're going to a vote anytime soon here, but I think kind of the idea that I'm getting at, and it sounds like uh, you may have been getting at this too, is I think like Cassidy is an illustration uh, that we saw at least in the premiere. And we haven't seen that much from her uh, since then, but talking about like, because I understand the way this game's this game works, I'm going to go out of my way to come across like I'm not calling any shots or like up to any kind of harebrained schemes. And that is the kind of mentality I would have liked to see more from Ellie uh, around like day five or so. Yeah, Cassidy is an interesting one uh, in that sense. And we'll touch on her now because I don't think we will have another opportunity to do so just yet, even though we've had however many hours of uh, screen time where like this is the sum total of Cassidy that we've seen. That idea of I'm just going to sit back and uh, let other people do the talking, do the scheming for now. I like that idea, but it, it, if the part of the selfish motivation for being out there on Survivor as a fan is you see yourself on the show that you love so much, I would be a little concerned about giving them the exact confessional that they can use as justification for showing nothing of me and nothing of what I'm doing. Uh, Fair, yeah. (laughs) Even if that that was my explicit strategy, I don't know if I would say that because that all but guarantees, especially if I'm, uh, you know, a fairly nondescript woman on the tribe that is not getting a tribal council, that I'm getting nothing. (laughs) They they have to come to me. And so I I don't know if my ego could cope with that. So to, again, go back to the premiere... One thing that did stand out to me, and maybe, you know, obviously they don't know this in the moment, but if I want to spin this kind of more positively towards defending the Ellie side of being a very active gamer here versus the Cassidy side of, like, being more conscientiously passive, we saw in the premiere 
that Mariah, who would go on to be the first boot from this season, got what I would consider a pretty memorable confessional about something along the lines of, I am here to make friends, and that's going to be like my path to victory. Did you, you know, after seeing that she would go on to be the first boot this season, interpret that to mean anything along the lines of like a mission statement for how this season is going to go that like the people who are here to make friends and hang back are going to have a bad time and it's going to be the aggressive players who get rewarded. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting concept. And I actually think about that in terms of how much we're meant to draw lessons or draw, draw contrast with 41 and 42 here. So for example, we saw two different tribes in the premiere where the the idea of you know, the women's alliance uh, was uh, resurrected and actually seemed like it was going to be in full effect here uh, with uh, Ellie on the one tribe and then uh, Lindsay over on Coco. And maybe that one, uh, if they ever go to tribal council, we'll, we'll see if that one can be stress tested. But when we saw two different groups attempt that and already one of them is falling apart and eating itself and, you know, Mariah ends up, you know, falling into this sad trend of early boots or first boots in survivor history here uh i don't know if there's this underlying message of like if if you want to have a women's alliance and a part of that is you need to actually not vote off the women like that you know it's not just talking the talk here it's, it's walking the walk uh versus um you know now that everyone here has seen 41 and 42 and they've seen erica and marianne back to back uh buck that trend which of male winners that existed for a long time at the tail end of the 30s. Um, I don't know if how we're meant to see that as viewers and how they see that as players is different versus if they had been in this cocoon where 41 and 42 had never happened. Like, does all of that play out differently on both ends? I, I'm not sure. I, that's a very interesting question. I'm also not sure uh, about what the answer to that might be, but I, it, it potentially ties into... Another kind of overarching thing that uh, I was probably going to forget to ask you if it didn't come up in passing, so let me do it now. I have certainly heard plenty, and I'm guessing you have as well, and many of the listeners out there have, about the three-tribe format, where it's just small groups of six people, and you know, virtually all of the pre-merge challenges are going to have an at least somewhat uh, physical element, if not like predominantly physical element being a big disadvantage for just the women on any given season that starts out like that. And I don't think that's a crazy point to be making by any stretch. And I think that could certainly be playing into why we have seen the boot order to this point that we have seen. But, you know, we spent the early years of this podcast begging for the return to three tribes at the time when we started doing survivor coverage i believe it was the case that survivor all-stars was the only season that had ever been run in three tribes and now it seems like not just the new normal it seems like we based on at least recent trends may never see anything else uh, if, if they want to stick with roughly this kind of same new era format at least in the foreseeable future are you at the point dom where you think that the three tribe format has become kind of tired or unfair or whatever. Like if you could wave a magic wand, would you want to go back to two starting tribes? Part of me does hanker for the days of just two big tribes to start the game and then maybe a swap after episode four or something. And that is almost an old school desire to have at this stage. I think the point about the challenges uh, is 
a fine one just on the face of it. Like, yeah, there are lots of physical challenges in the game that favor a certain type of player. And usually that's not uh, the women unless they are explicitly cast for some kind of athleticism. But also it, it speaks to just the general sameness of the challenges. But right? this is the point we've come back to over and over again. And they keep giving us calls to do that, which is why we keep saying it, which is that uh, it feels like the challenge department is giving us challenges which are good for what they are. Like if you're really into uh, obstacle courses and puzzle pieces and multi-stage uh, challenges and so on, like they're giving you good stuff, I suppose, but that is all they're giving you. And so if there is some kind of bias or trend built into some type of challenge, then if that's the only type of challenge you ever really see early on, and that's the same pattern you see every season, then those patterns are going to replicate themselves as well. And like that's, if you want to change things up there, changing that is is what you have to do in the short term versus addressing you know if you think there's some like big underlying social bias going into it that's a lot harder to to defend the switch on if you're in casting totally yeah uh okay so the way we are gonna i think proceed from here dominic is with uh a format i at least have come to love and i hope you you dom and you the audience are at least okay with it uh we're gonna do another must lose draft to kind of talk through person by person and whatever events they were involved in will come up uh, whenever they come off the board. And the objective here is to draft someone who will definitely not win this season. And I use definitely very lightly, uh, perhaps counterintuitively there, uh, because I don't think there's anyone I'm comfortable saying will definitely not win this season as things stand right now. And I do feel like it would be pertinent to flag up that this is actually what we did to dive into season 42, however many months ago, uh, we did it back then also after the third episode and the first pick off the board by me uh, was Marianne. <laughs> we all saw how that one went on to play out. So again, really cannot overstate how little confidence I have in myself uh, or in Dom along the way here. But if nothing else, it's at least, I think, an interesting format to just kind of talk through the people and what we've seen from them and just kind of their involvement in the game thus far. Uh, Dom, knowing that the pressure is decidedly off you, you can't do worse than I did with the first pick in last season's must-lose draft. Would you like to go first or second? Uh, I will go second here. I will let you try to uh, sink yourself in exactly the same way once again. All right, we'll see We'll see how I go. I actually, I'm not 100% sure if Marianne was the first pick or just my first pick. But in any event, she was one of the first names off the board. Uh, and this time around, one name is jumping off the page to me. And it's honestly someone that when we first saw this person, I would say like the first 20-ish or so minutes of getting to know this guy in the premiere... I was actually blown away in like a positive way compared to the expectations uh, that I would have had just kind of in the dark. This is yet again, I, I think I've been doing this every season since Ghost Island, uh, going in just totally cold on who is going to be playing the season. I didn't know any of their names. I'd seen uh, people talking about Owen, like being happy that Owen, who's a big survivor, like online super fan, was going to be in the cast. But that was the literal only name I even knew to expect. I didn't know anything about any of these people. And I will say Owen is not the name that I'm about to, to take with the first pick here. But had I known 
going in that there was a 19 year old on this season, I would have right off the bat said that person's going to have a massively uphill battle. But in the case of Sammy, who is going to be my first pick here in the must lose draft, what we saw from him early on, I actually thought was really impressive. I, I love that he it seemingly convincingly has convinced his tribe that he's 22. I completely agree that that is a very good idea on his part. And uh, when he did figure out the savvy puzzle, I thought he could, like handled kind of get it, you know, leading his tribe in the right direction uh, in a pretty strong way. However, these last couple of weeks, there have been a couple of things that, did not seem that great to me and the most notable among them. And the reason that I'm taking him off the board here, number one overall is there were, I think at least two instances where he seemed like actively and visibly upset that anyone thought they might have like better bonds with person X than he did. Uh, I I think it was in the context of like, which one of us is going to talk to Gabler, me or Ellie. And he was like, very visibly angry almost that she thought she like she had the audacity to think that she had a better bond with Gabler than he did. And uh, there was some other instance in either episode two or episode three. I'm sorry. I'm spacing on the specifics where uh, he gave a confessional about like, Oh, so-and-so thinks this is the situation. Well, that makes me upset and I'm going to go now and prove them wrong. That to me is not only, not a winning mentality to have in a game like survivor or in pretty much any game. Uh, But as unwilling as I generally am to be like reading into the edit in any meaningful way at this point, that is something that is still going to stick out to me is I I, not only having that impulse, but being shown to have that impulse is just about the best thing I can come up with uh, for taking anyone in this cast off the board with the number one pick. So Sammy is going to be the first name that I take. I know we had this discussion a whole 10 seasons ago, a decade of sorts now uh, with Will Wool in millennials versus gen X, where it seemed like even the most capable or uh, ahead of their time of these uh, under twenties or uh, teenagers on survivor could only go so far and the limits of their knowledge or self-awareness or whatever, th- this is what Survivor does, right? Like that, that's what people always say. It's shifts you to your core, uh, it te- pushes you to your limits and so on. I think there just is maybe a hard cap on how well someone at that age can do on the show. And uh, I think the closest thing we came to a counter example was Michael Yerger, who uh, both looked and acted as if he was a lot older than he was. But even so, I, I don't know if, uh, if things had broken his way or the underlying conditions on that season had been much easier, I don't I, know. I, I feel like he still would have come a cropper of that. And I don't know if you're someone who, if you are one of these Survivor Super fans and you get the call when you're 19, you're not going to turn it down. And I don't think, I'm not saying you should turn it down, but it feels like that is not a great time to be getting that call because even though getting that call and going out there on Survivor, especially if you last long enough, might really level you up in terms of your life experience. And you, you come back as the the 24-year-old that you're telling everyone you were uh, out there in the moment. I think that it's really hard to actually succeed and take home the million uh, with, that, with that little life experience and that little awareness. Well, I think it's definitely possible if your castmates do not know that you're 19. And it's I'm going to leave the door semi-open for myself here. It's probably also possible if they do know that you're 19, but I think it's a significantly less 
of an uphill battle if they think you're 22. And I think Sammy does indeed have that going for him that at least as far as I could tell, he was able to play that off in a way that the other people on his tribe were willing to buy. Uh, And by no stretch am I like putting the done chain on Sammy here. We have certainly seen people turn things around uh, from rocky starts, and he may not even be off to that rocky of a start. I don't know that Sammy... If they did go to another tribal council, or go, yeah, if they did go to another tribal council, uh, would even necessarily be in jeopardy. Uh, it, it's the vibes that I have gotten from Sammy at a couple of different points have just struck me as this is the opposite of kind of a good impulse to have in this sort of spot, as far as I would be concerned, uh, from like just a survivor in general as a game kind of perspective, uh, and. That, I think, is the only, at least the most compelling reason I can come up with at this point to take anyone off the board. But uh, to quickly return to what you were just saying, I agree that if you're 19 years old and they say, hey, you have a spot on Survivor, I am not saying turn them down. But in a perfect world, I think you would want to wait till you're like 25 or thereabouts. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what the uh, the, the age is on, on Will Wall or Michael Yoga these days, but that feels like exactly the kind of person who, uh, whenever the next All-Star season rolls around, if you are open to bringing back contestants from the 30s, which they say they're not, but it's hard to see how they're going to do it without it in the near future, then I would love to see a Will Wall or a Michael mm-hmm. Yoga who is now in their early to mid-20s and who is recognized to be the same person, but also effectively a very different person at the same time. So obviously we are not here to get bogged down in this conversation, but let me just quickly disagree with one thing you said in there, which is I don't think they would have a hard time already casting a returnee season from only 41 and beyond, even if they wanted to do it as soon as next season. I think it would be no problem getting six people from each of 41, 42, 43, and having them create a very compelling season of returnee survivor. And I think the issue would go the other way where because all of those casts, at least as far as I'm concerned, were so good and so loaded with people who would make for compelling returnees. I think the problem would be having too many people that you already want to bring back. Also the, the upside to bringing Michael Yoko back now, or potentially the massive downside is that he would finally be at an age where Survivor Twitter would feel comfortable just openly lusting over him, and I, I don't know if we can sit through a full season of that. I don't think they seemed that uncomfortable the first time, so uh, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Dom, Sammy now off the board. Which direction are you going to go here with your first pick? All right, I, I'm going to make a, a less eventful pick, I think. I'm going to go with Janine, who I, I didn't really have much negative to say based on what we've seen so far. She seemed to be... Uh, at the very least, involved potentially an instigator of this whole uh, Gabler subplot from this episode. But from what we're getting so far, she seems like the type of person who either is going to be like the the Jervis to Ellie's Tyson, or is going to be this accidental casualty of a move against Ellie that maybe neither the neither the two of them is aware of in the moment. It feels like you know she's going to be caught in one of these two very common traps that people fall into, and. Uh, I'm not optimistic, I guess, that she can escape from that. I am on essentially the same page there. Uh, Insofar as I I could obviously be very wrong about this, but I do kind of get the sense that if this tribe were to go back to another vote and they did, you know, have 
clarity over what happened with this attempt at like duping or gaslighting Dom. Sorry to trigger you. Uh, Gabler and they were kind of mad at Ellie. It almost does feel more likely that Janine would kind of leave on the basis of being like less likely to have an advantage or just uh, an easier boot there. And people, as far as I can tell, may feel uh, a bit closer to Ellie on uh, a personal level as well. So uh, Janine, I think a, a totally defensible pick here. I'll, I, I'm going to say this one final time as things pertain to Janine and you, the audience can just do the math that I'm thinking this as well about every other name that will go off the board from this point forward and has come off the board so far would not surprise me to see any of these people win. I, I don't yeah, think we, we know. Yeah. We okay. Know. I... Just, yeah. I, I'm done. I'm, I'm done repeating it. Okay. Uh, so, there goes Janine back on me. Could have anticipated that I would have to make another pick here soon. I will go, I think at this point, with Ryan. Uh, and I am not feeling good about that pick already. And <laughs> um, kind of kind of want to do takesy-backsies here, but I've said it. It's verbally binding. Away we go on Ryan. And the only, like the the reason that came to mind for me is just the notion that if Ryan were to find himself in what appeared to be a pretty good spot in any kind of like post merge setting, he seems like the standout pick to have kind of an automatic target on his back because he does seem kind of like physically imposing the same way. Not to quite the same extent as Jonathan, uh, but not super far off based on the rest of the cast around him, where if anyone is going to get kind of just a default target on them in a post-merge setting, I think Ryan is probably the front runner along those lines. Yeah, nothing too much more to add about that. And I feel like I want to just hear more from Ryan. I'm sure, I, again, some people want to look at him more. I would like to hear more from him. I would like to see more of that interior life that we got, got a small glimpse of in the season so far. Yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, Ryan's another, per, or I guess, a person. There haven't been any others off the board yet from the Blue Tribe, uh, with one notable exception that we haven't really seen that much from uh, to this point. Yeah, so it's back on me, and uh, give me the man of the hour, I guess. Give me Gabler, who, after this most recent episode, looks a lot better, uh, just certainly by comparison to some of his tribe and just in absolute terms, than he did previously. But even despite that, I, I just this perception of him as this kook who doesn't know what's going on, maybe this is the counter-argument to that, but I think that's going to be the perception still, and that age gap is going to make itself known, and I think once you have made that rough of an initial first impression, it is pretty difficult to come back from that, even if you can like spin that into some kind of amazing comeback story somehow if you do make it to the end. And I'm not sure what it is, but does it feel like, and maybe this is just a poker player's attempt to uh, scrub the record of that profession uh, clean, but doesn't it feel like doctors have really had a rough go of it on Survivor uh, over the past few uh, seasons? What, what doctors, remind me, have we seen in recent Survivor history? Well, you might need a reminder because we barely saw them for any episodes, but uh, Voce uh, comes to mind. Mm. And, and then maybe there were some that even I'm forgetting uh, in this stretch. I guess uh, Dr. Allison from 
DVG was uh, one of the, the better examples that we've seen recently, but like Tarzan, for example. Uh, I got major Tarzan vibes from Gabler the moment that we saw him in the first episode, and uh, not to the extent that I would be worried if this person was conducting my heart surgery or what have you, but uh, the, the way that I certainly do have those concerns with Tarzan. <laughs> uh, but it, it just seems like, okay, even though this guy clearly is very successful in real life, we are not meant to think that he could carry that over to this uh, this little fake world of Survivor here. Yeah, uh, I, I do think Gabler, just by virtue of the demographic into which he falls, is going to have more of an uphill battle uh, at not only bonding with people initially, but also coming across. I, I, I'm, I, in my own mind, I'm framing this weirdly and don't even really know uh, what I'm trying to say, but like, I feel like people are going to all right let, let me piece let me piece through what i'm trying to get I'm, I'm going to start with the conclusion and then you reverse engineer how i arrived there i feel like people are going to be more willing to let go of gabler if it's at all convenient just on the grounds that they don't feel a friendship with him the way i would imagine they do with most of the people in real life and like the people they know in real life that is more easily replicated i would ima- i would guess by someone roughly their own age and with roughly their own interests i feel like gabler is going to kind of be viewed as the kooky uncle and if he can make it through there is a conceivable timeline where like that kind of oddball personality is super endearing in a final travel council kind of format but getting to that point i think is going to be uh a lot a lot harder for gabler than for virtually anyone else left in the cast just based on the age disparity and yes i know i am playing with fire here having just seen mike turner who was whatever like 57 or 58 play one of the better uh social games along the way on last season and maybe gabler will be the second coming of that but i i do get the sense uh that he may have a harder time developing bonds with people that they feel emotionally conflicted about breaking in at least anytime soon yeah i I think he is going to become that person who seems like they should be an obvious first boot and once they survive that they just have this weird staying power where uh they become the person who someone who knows that on their way out tries to conjure up some kind of plot against because well it's Gabler so like there's surely there are reasons that people don't want this guy around anymore and there are but they don't care and he sticks around anyway and he just is there and he's the person who people get frustrated that they got voted out before and then maybe just gets either taken to the end or kind of like discarded somewhere in the shuffle once you get down to whatever your core alliance is but uh, doesn't really have much of a chance to win beyond that and I, I don't think that Maybe this is part of the problem, is grouping Mike Gabler and Mike Turner from last season together, I, I guess maybe just because they're Mikes, but also because they're old. And I don't really see no similarities between the two of them beyond that, where it felt like Mike, even in some of his worst moments last season, always had this like implicit respect from the people around him that Mike Gabler, like we, we've seen several people say that they just view this guy as kind of a whack job so far. Yeah, Uh to go way back to the premiere, did you have a strong take in either direction on the way that Gabler handled the initial receipt of that advantage that he got? Did you feel like he was being like overly public about 
what he was up to on uh, what Mike Bloom has called Sack Rock, and I like that better than any of the other uh, <laughs> titles for the Journey Island that I've seen to that point, so I'm rolling with it for at least this episode. What did you think about him just being like pretty much as straightforward and public about everything as you could draw up? I think that is the way to go, honestly, because what we've seen time and time again is that if you come back and you try to spin any kind of story, even if it's one where like you, you were presented with this trade of A versus B and you, you took A, oh, maybe you should have taken B, whatever. Even if you spin that in a way where it feels like you're giving something away or you're, you still have something to hide or however you slice it, like people are going to weave whatever story they want about it. And uh, there's always going to be some follow-up confessional for someone saying, oh, I don't know if they're telling me the full story here. And, uh, you know, someone's going to try and rifle through your bag later and so on. I kind of like that he was just open about it and uh, almost embrace the fact that even if you are fully open and we saw this episode um i don't remember who it was exactly but uh you know you come back from cam you basically spill the entire story as and you're open as possible someone is going to find some reason to distrust what you're saying there must be some element that you're leaving out or some other aspect to your advantage or anything i kind of like just putting as much out in the open as you can and just letting people do what they want with it and then doing as, as much damage control as you feel you need to do uh, later on, because I'm coming around to the view that there are certainly wrong ways to handle what you say when you come back. I don't know if there's a right way that's going to please everyone and deal with any uh, suspicions that they have. Yeah, I am on, I think, that exact same page where even if there is something very much worth hiding, at this point in the run of Survivor, you've got to know that I'm not going to be the last person to go and do this. And if I lie, someone is very likely going to go in the next two to four days and come back and immediately blow up my story if I'm still here. So uh, I, I am generally on that same side of erring very much on the side of openness and honesty. Uh, I, and I liked that Dwight tried to do the same thing when he came back. And even though it was not met with uh, a very positive result in the form of like Cody, not believing him because his pants weren't wet anymore or whatever. Uh, I think in the year 2022, that's a borderline no brainer. Like you, you can't be going with something along the lines of like the neutral box uh, to use a classic example when it's, not even overwhelmingly likely. I think it is a lock that any lie you tell is almost surely going to get blown up the next time someone goes. Yeah. And and you can also, and this is the, the, the most fun timeline to watch play out, is when someone tries to tell the truth, but does it in such a wolfy way that then people understandably just don't believe them and think that there must be uh, something that they're hiding. So yeah, if you are a bad liar or a bad truth teller, then going to whatever the rock or island is may be a poison chance of sorts, but there's just nothing you can really do about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so there goes Gabler. Four names off the board. I'm trying to talk myself out of picking the person that I think I'm about to pick, but I don't know if I can do it. Uh, man, am I playing with fire here because... It is certainly someone that we've seen plenty of to this point. Granted, they have gone to two of the three tribal councils thus far. But ooh, hearing no objection from my internal monologue at this hour, I am going to take Cody next, which I'm eager to acknowledge is a big gamble. I think 
this is going to go one of two ways for Cody. Either this dude is somehow the second coming of Tony Vlachos and he goes on to put on this big spectacle every step of the way and it ends in this unbelievable victory. Or he's just a big character who's gone to the first couple of votes and is going to eventually go out in a blaze of glory and or embarrassment along the way. And at this hour, I'm still leaning pretty heavily towards door number two there. So give me Cody with this next pick. Dom, do you like Cody? I I find him very entertaining. Uh, someone described him as like an Australian Survivor character who got yes. lost and ended up on American <laughs> Survivor, which was a very specific, but I think very accurate way of uh, framing him. Yeah, I, I heard that as well and was amazed at the accuracy that... Uh, that was in play there. I, Cody is exactly the kind of guy they have. It seems like six or seven of on every season of Australian survivor. Uh, and I don't dislike Cody myself. Uh, just to answer my own question. I think he is really fun, really entertaining. I don't know that going out there and trying to spend every day enjoying yourself above all else when you're in the middle of a game for a million dollars is necessarily the best uh, approach to take, but I get for sure why they put him on the show. I also get, I think, why he's having success, especially with the people that ended up being on his starting tribe, and I, I think we are quite likely to continue seeing a decent amount of Cody for as long as he remains in the game here, but uh, as things stand right now, I'm I'm leaning perhaps significantly so more towards the camp of this is going to be a fun ride and it's going to end in kind of a car crash for Cody and pretty much everyone's going to be okay with that, potentially including Cody. Yes. I, I did like this uh, subplot throughout the season of this unlikely alliance with NECA uh, where the two of them just on day one, it seemed they just became attached to the hip and neither of them is quite sure why. And uh, people both in the game and watching thought, wow, this is a really unlikely alliance i didn't expect that to happen and then at some point in uh in her boot episode is was like cody also realized hey wait i'm not quite sure why i'm stuck in a second <laughs> and just was very happy to just boot her out with everyone else so actually while we are on cody what have you thought of the beware advantages to this point i i much prefer this implementation to what we had for the past two seasons which could not really come back. That that was something which could only survive for the length of that filming cycle. And now, maybe it's to the other extreme, where if you hear anything remotely out of turn or out of source at a at a match chat session before a challenge, you're you're kind of on edge. You think that must be some hidden phrase that's signaling to to other people uh, in the game or something. Which is I, maybe that's kind of fun. Maybe it, there's going to be some subplot in season 46 where someone. Uh, hears that and takes it to heart and goes on some crazy wild goose chase that blows up their game and someone else's because they just read too much into this one phrase at one challenge. Um, but for now, I, I like this. I know there's been some criticism of how repetitive it is after the first time where, okay, we, we saw the first one, that was fun, and now we saw it again, and it seems like we're being teed up to see it for a third time. But at least the, the two examples that we saw so far, I think, were pretty interesting in how different the approaches were, uh, were where uh, you had uh, the first one where it was much more like extortionate almost of, uh, of trying to get the beads, whereas this one with Carla, it felt much more, 
I don't know. It was more transactional. It was more uh, like, okay, well, there's clearly something going on here. I'm not going to let you in on the, the whole story, but she was driving this pretty hard bargain, and it seemed to go pretty well for her. Yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about it when we get to Carla, uh, because she definitely took a different approach than Cody. But I also think a, a factor in that was probably the sense of urgency on Cody, on Cody's part, knowing that he was going to go to a vote very soon, and his vote was at least conceivably going to be a very important one to have there. So slightly different circumstances, to say the least, uh, between those two kind of instances of watching the same twist play out. But I did want to say, not so sure about the decision by Cody in the first place to take that beware advantage. And uh, I was certainly one of the apparently many people who really loved the initial impulse by Carla to at least give it a second thought before she went back and took the beware advantage uh, and was borderline disappointed in actually seeing her go for it. But I, you know, I, I certainly get it. Uh, and it, it made me wonder, are, are we at the point where we've seen anyone who has stumbled upon a beware advantage actually decline it yet? I don't think so. And it was getting to the point where I wasn't sure if you could. I wasn't sure if if you tried to put it back, there'd be some voice, that, you know, tutting in your ear and uh, some uh, softly or maybe strongly worded missive from production to, hey, I, I really think you should strongly consider taking this uh, Barrera advantage. Um, but it seems like that is an option that is on the table, even if the one person that we've seen exploring it has uh, walked that back uh, within the same episode. Right. I think the fact that we did see Carla at least initially say I'm going to pass on this and then go back seemingly, uh, you know, of her own volition on her own by her own volition, heard it all three ways. Uh, it would suggest to me that I, I don't think this is like a big brothers, the big brother Pandora's box situation where everyone is essentially pressured into whatever it takes to make them say yes. I, I, I think especially at this point where we've seen, so many people over these last three seasons immediately take the beware advantage. If I were a producer, I would kind of want to see how it played out if someone knew that it was out there but didn't want to take it for themselves. So uh, maybe we'll see that down the line. Uh, so there goes Cody. Uh, Dom, it is now back over to you. Okay. Uh, hmm. It's not easy. This is not a fun game to be playing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm almost going to uh, like check it back to you here, and I'm going to pick Cassidy, who we have heard very little from, and it seems like that is almost by design on her end. But as I said uh, at the top, you're kind of uh, allowing them or giving them the freedom, not that they need it, because they are they are the guards in this case, they, they are omnipotent, to just write you out of the show if they want to, and I guess mission accomplished on that front so far. I don't know if you get to successfully do that and go on to win even though one might argue that's what erica was doing even if uh in retrospect she and most of the people watching would have loved to see more from her to explain how all of that happened yeah uh i think a a very reasonable pick at this point in the draft dom i respect your kind of tactic here of we're playing uno and you're just kind of reversing it right back to me uh, I'm going to hit you with the classic re-reverse here, and I'm going to take Lindsay, uh, another person that we have heard quite little from compared to uh, most others at this point. And I do absolutely like pretty much everything I can at least remember 
seeing from Lindsay to this point and could see her going on to become a very active and very good player down the line who's in there with plenty of chances to win. But just based on these first three episodes where her team has never gone to a vote, we haven't gotten to hear that much from her other than trying to set up that women's alliance. And it seems like she did so fairly effectively, although we haven't seen it tested yet uh, in episode one. I feel like Lindsay, much like Cassidy, is kind of the neutral box option at this point in the draft. Yeah, Lindsay might almost be a better pick in the sense that Thank I think you. it's rare that the the leading light that we're meant to think of from this this tribe that never gets that uh, attention, it seems very rare that they go on to convert that into any real success, right? Um, it seems like just in general, there's a trend of, the tribe that never goes to tribal and has never tested a tribal uh, is set up for failure when you get to whatever the first chance is for the tribes to, to meet. And then within that, um, the person who seems like they're the early power player in that alliance, like they are the first person who gets targeted once all of that comes together. So uh, I could see Lindsay being like the, uh, the, the Brendan from Token Chains or whatever of this whole <laughs> operation. Okay. Yeah, sure. That was the name that I had in mind to compare her to as well. So, uh, okay. I, you want to know how stupid I am? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> well, you know, uh, but the mere fact that this tribe that's winning all the challenges is the blue tribe again, much like they were in season 41, I think is causing me to believe more in their long, long-term prospects than if the like Erica tribe on 41 wore any other color. Well, uh, that is a very strange thing to believe, but admitting it, that, that you have that problem is uh, the first step, I guess. I'm just throwing it out there that I honestly think I would be much lower on every, not much lower, but at least somewhat lower on everyone on this current blue team if they were wearing any other color. But just having so recently seen a blue team win all the challenges and be pretty quiet and then go on to make up the majority of the end game is causing me to hold out a bit more hope for this for these folks. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I, I uh, guess means it is now back on me after I do, my, I do my best to stall for time here. Yeah, if you can find another reverse card in that deck, I'll be very impressed. Hmm. Well, okay, I, I don't know where this falls on, on your uh, bingo card here, but give me Noel, actually, uh, who is maybe the heroine of sorts of the, the story so far, but uh, what we've seen time and time again is there are a lot of uh, feel-good stories or people who you know you're meant to root for and that has very little lineup with how they actually do in the end and usually if that person also goes on to win you see other aspects of their character kind of layered on top of that and uh, we've, we've seen Noelle's backstory we've seen her success story in the game so far I don't think we have the kind of uh, complexity beyond that to really say much more yeah I, I could see you know Noelle had a big breakout episode this last week in episode three and now conceivably very crucially has the vote steal advantage and has at least potentially gone from a position where like things looked like they could be a very uphill battle for her especially being on the tribe that was losing all the challenges you know one trip to sack rock we could very conceivably see noel come out of like next week in the catbird seat and I would have, I think, as much faith in Noel as pretty much anyone else to get along well with people from tribes she's not on yet that will eventually either swap, more likely just meet at the merge, uh, and hit it off and be 
at least reasonably competent at the very least, like socially, strategically. I, 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 what I'm getting at is I could see a big kind of upswing for Noel compared to most. Uh, at the same time, I do hear what you're saying. Uh, and at this point in the draft, I think any pick is virtually any pick at this point is, is pretty defensible. So there goes Noel. Actually, while we're on Noel, I think we, we've also seen some suggestion that everyone understands and they feel it themselves, I'm sure, but they also understand that her story is a very good one. And so if she gets to the end, like that is a inherently a massive obstacle to overcome. And so there might be some uh, like Marion from Survivor South Africa vibes here from you know, the most recent season, which I would highly recommend anyone uh, go back and check out if you're looking for some additional Survivor to, to wear your appetite with, where she was this legitimate power player in the game and maybe the favorite to win at a certain point towards the end, just based on her actions within the game. But because she also, however much she tried to like disavow it at times, however much she was this both sympathetic figure and inspirational figure and uh, had that element to her story on top of the fact that just on her own merits, her game is very good. Like she knew that if she was being honest, everyone else knew that too. And that honesty was reflected in how, Everyone knew they could not possibly take it to the end of the game if they wanted any shot themselves. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there goes Noel. And what I was going to get back to is uh, pretty good time to get sent to Sack Rock there if you are Noel, I would say. I, I think once she got sent there, uh, it, it's probably going to be pretty difficult for the rest of the people on her team to vote her out when NECA is right there as well. And now this vote steal, uh, as mentioned earlier, could prove to be like the deciding factor if they do indeed have to go back to another vote there. So Noel off the board here. I am now going to make my next pick. And I think I've, I, all right, I know where I'm going with this. Uh, as much as I love this person, at least based on what I've seen of them so far, Give me Geo here, and the reason for that is what we saw from Geo during, yeah, it was the premiere where they were doing the Savvy and Sweat Challenge, where he volunteered to do the sweat part just because he felt so bad, and maybe this is wrong of me, and we'll go on to see Geo be some like heartless, diabolical mastermind, but at this point in the draft, Geo potentially kind of letting his heart get in his way down the line is one of the bigger Achilles heels, at least conceivably so that I can come up with among the people still left on the board here. So uh, Geo as endearing as I'm sure that personality trait is in real life and as much of a benefit that could be for him. If he does end up making it to the end, uh, I could more easily talk myself into Geo making an inaccurate decision because he just really likes someone more, much more so uh, frankly than I can with most, uh, most anyone either on or off the board at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and any takes on geo thus far, another person that we just haven't seen a ton from. Yeah. He, he really feels like an enigma to me so far. We had that really touching scene of him bonding with Carla and as, as with basically everyone on the season, and maybe this is something we want to get into now he has this great backstory. He has uh, a way to make his win, if that's what his story is, really emotionally resonant in a way. Um, what do you make of this trend as a whole? Because I, I know there's been a pretty vocal backlash against it uh, from the usual suspects, where it's like, well, 
everyone has a sob story these days and there's the oppression olympics and there's uh, so on and so forth uh what has your feelings been about just this way of introducing the cast to people where we kind of know their most inter- intimate trauma and their backstory and their deepest motivation almost before we know even the other basic facts about the people themselves beyond what their Chiron tells us. Right, yeah. I, I love the decision to get more into people's backstories and show us photos from their real lives, but I don't think uh, the criticism is unwarranted that it may be a bit much to say the least as far as, I don't think it's like a contest for who has the most traumatic kind of real life backstory going into the game. And I don't expect frankly for it to continue being like a running theme until we get very close to the end. And it becomes like a talking point as far as like the jury is concerned and so forth. But I definitely do at the very least understand where the critics of that sort of thing are coming from uh, I I don't know I, I'm trying to come up with a way of framing this I uh, don't think it would kill them to have some people with less interesting backstories make the cut as well I don't think every single person on the show needs to have some like deep motivation because of some sort of like traumatic situation in their past that is m- inspiring them to go on survivor and tie their life back together i I, i'm i'm phrasing this very badly here but uh, i i get where the uh criticism of that is coming from although i like it doesn't actively bother me but i do get why it bothers other people yeah I, i think to an extent it does devalue each individual story when everyone is almost required to have a story like that now it it kind of in the same way that now that we own an era where basically everyone is a super fan or at least is strongly aware of like the fundamental tenets of survivor the idea of being a super fan or the super fan back in the day like one of the very first interviews we did uh, on here was with brian corridan right and his his whole thing was he was that like uh energetic overexcitable super fan who was really happy to be there and who was just like oh my god it's jeff probes i'm on survivor and that was not the vibe of the people he was playing with and he was kind of booted out uh pretty quick but if you are someone whose whole personality essentially is watching a lot of survivor that used to be a hook and that could be your hook that could be your whole thing that explained why you're on the show in contrast to maybe someone else here who is a you know a rancher in their 50s from somewhere in the south and who the idea of survivor had never really occurred to them until whenever and somehow they end up on here and the two of you form this great alliance and you're the odd couple and you go on to uh to great things or whatever like that that angle is off the table now and so now if i hear someone talk about how they have been watching the show since borneo and and so on you almost kind of take that for granted and it's like okay yeah but what else have you got uh and now often what what else they have got is some incredibly touching and traumatic backstory, which often now becomes interlinked with them being a Survivor superfan because you need to spice that part up now in order <laughs> for it to have any meaning. So uh, it, it, you, if you can intertwine it where I'm watching Survivor, beca- or I, I'm here to win Survivor because uh, watching Survivor with my partner while uh, she was uh, dying of leukemia, that's how we bonded. And that's how, you know, I'm sure always be remembered. Like that is... 
you, you you can see the editors salivating over that. And you, you saw when uh, when Noelle was talking about her own history and her timeline of watching Survivor, uh, and Jeff was like, "So wait, hold on a second. You you know that this was when uh, you had your accident, and this is when you applied for Survivor. You could see that like the the bulbs lighting up in his head as, <laughs> as all that was going on. Um, and so I do think there is something to the idea that now, if the only way that you know how to tell people stories is by having them like bear their soul to you and uh, relive the most traumatic moment of their life. Even if sincerely that is part of their underlying motivation, uh, it's kind of a lazy way of shoving that responsibility onto the cast instead of yourself. But also, it also forces people for whom maybe they do have that story, but they don't want to relive that at every opportunity or they consider not thinking about that on a daily basis to be part of how they have moved past that and conquered it. But now you're effectively turning that all around on them and being like, hey, could you uh, could you uh, summon up some tearjerker for the audience here as a way to introduce yourself? And as you say, it's almost not enough to be, well, I'm just some person who maybe has a you know, compelling TV personality or I've had all these interesting things, successes in, in real life. It has to be funneled through this very specific lens, which... Uh, you know, if if that's your thing, it's fine. I think. I mean, I don't I don't hate it, and I don't mind it in small doses. But when it is the only way that that can become your thing, I I think that's a problem. That being said, I think that we have, even in this season, a template for how to kind of get around that. So we have some sequences where I think it was Gabriel's actually where we kind of see him in his element. Uh, like, yeah, I'm I'm a doctor, and however much the editors are gonna set me up for failure in this episode. You you do know because you've seen the photographic evidence that back in real life, I do all of this in in uh, incredible stuff in high pressure situations in the emergency room, and I, I can, you know, even if I go home with the idol in my pocket in an episode from now, that can be part of the the lasting memory I leave on the season. So I think that the backstories are here to stay, and I think that's a good thing. But do you think that the kind of like traumatic backstories are going to be the new normal or is this kind of like a phase that survivor is going through i think once you start it it's hard to see how you draw back um it it would be just tonally a big shift if we get we come back in here for 44 and there's just there's someone on the season who's just some guy and yeah hey he, he likes survivor but he doesn't base his whole personality around it and oh yeah maybe he's just you know he's a sales representative for some I don't know, pharmaceutical firm or something like it just, he's just some guy, you know, <laughs> like it, it feels quite difficult to just be a random person on Survivor these days. I see where you're coming from there. And I, I by no means think we're going to probably ever have another season without at least a couple uh, of stories along these lines. But I think this could in time prove to be uh, a bit of an outlier along those lines. Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Dom geo now off the board. We have, six names left now i want to make sure that i'm counting right oh wow we're gonna okay i probably could have anticipated this there are an odd number of people on this season (laughs) that are remaining in the game at this point so we will figure out what to do with that uh we we leave one person left undrafted and if uh they do not lose then both of us lose in our master's draft because that uh, you know someone has to be the loser here and it could very well end up being both of us okay we'll see we'll see who that person ends up being uh wait hold on Hold on a second. 
Wait, no. So if that person wins, that means we both win. It will, we all single swim together here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I thought you were doing that backwards, but you seemed so confident <laughs> that I didn't want to correct you. Uh, so. I, I, well, hey, hey, isn't that just a, a template for life? It's just say some complete nonsense, <laughs> but do it with enough confidence and enough uh, self-sureness that uh, no, no one is any the wiser. That's absolutely right, Dom. Uh, okay, it is your pick again. Okay, well, despite that uh, lengthy digression, I did not use that time wisely to uh, come up with another pick. So we're going to do it live, do it on the fly here. I guess, I guess give me Ellie, who I, I think in some regards has been the main character of this season so far. And I, I, I do love to see it. I, I have enjoyed watching her, but I, this episode has really given me pause where it felt like not only did her plot not work, but it felt like everyone was in on the joke and the joke was the fact that Ellie thought she was so smart that she could get away with this. And it, it, it felt like the, the seeds of her destruction were, were being sown there. Uh, maybe it's not a short-term thing. Uh, she strikes me as someone who could be that type who, once we get to the merge and everyone is meeting each other for, for the first time and kind of scrambling to just put some kind of plan together, she might be the easy person to unite this big group against and to be one of those early boots. Um, so not quite sure on the timing of that execution, but uh, reasonably confident that it's coming at some point. Yeah, I think there is certainly a lot to like and feel good about from what we've seen of Ellie to this point. But this last episode uh, did make me more heavily second guess some of that than I think I would have if we were in here after episode two. So, uh, yeah, Ellie, you know, we, we've talked and we're not the only ones talking about uh, the possible kind of comparison to Michelle Fitzgerald. We're not saying it. People are saying it, Dom. Uh, I could also, though, see once it's all said and done, uh, some in her of one of my old favorites. And so coming from me, I mean this very complimentarily. Not sure if that's a word, uh, but I could see also a bit of some R.C. St. Amour in mm -hmm. L.A. Uh, and that potentially being her undoing. Uh, so, yeah, we've talked, you know, we talked at great in great detail uh, about Ellie near the top of the show. I think uh, she's going to be one of the more interesting people to see how this ends up playing out for her. Uh, but to put my cards on the table, she was going to be my next pick as well. So. I think the, yeah. the, the other thing uh, in terms of recent context that stands out about Ellie to me is in these recent seasons, it feels like it is much more of a marathon than a sprint. And the people who are set up as the big power players early on, or even in the mid portion of the game, often get clipped a decent length before the end. So you think of uh, both Ricard and Shan in 41 or uh, Omer in 42. Uh, you're Evie as well. Like a, a lot of the people who... At this stage, for you know, we're coming in here for our first podcast of the season. We're thinking, who are our favorites so far? Oh yeah, Evie seems like uh, they're off to a great start, and then uh, you know, Shan clearly like maybe Shan is just being set up for this this coronation, and no one else even comes close. And maybe one of the lessons we're meant to be learning now is like, don't read too much into that. Like maybe these right. are just big characters, and uh, they're going to come across at some point. And I think that is. It, it, in a way, it's a compliment to Ellie to say that she is a good enough like confessionalist and character to me, at least so far, despite some of the, the queasiness around the whole, I'm a therapist, and in my daily life, I get to manipulate people, which seems to be a, a recent character archetype. Despite <laughs> all of that, uh, I, I kind of think she's good enough on that front that it would make sense if 
we'll just give her a bunch of screen time so that when she goes out, you feel sad about it, as opposed to some other theory. Yeah, all right. Uh, so there goes Ellie. Back on me, five names left on the board, just to reset it for anyone uh, unclear on who remains here. I initially listed all of these people alphabetically by last name uh, i just went down the wikipedia list for season 43 and that's how they had them organized so the names remaining in that order uh, and don't ask me what any of their last names are actually i know one of them uh we have carla james owen whose last name is knight uh we have jesse and dwight still on the board here and it is my pick and i think the time has come for me to select Dwight, who I actually really like, and given how things went for him in the premiere where he just straight away loses his vote, I, I at the very least didn't hate and could be talked into really liking his decision to gamble for the advantage there. Uh, I thought he ran, ran pretty bad, like got pretty unlucky that Cody, of all people, was on his tribe and not really believing him about how things ended up going there and liked his impulse to be as honest as he could, and it just happened to backfire because of this weird circumstance. Uh, Dwight, who was blindsided by the Justine vote, it seems like is, at least on paper, back in the good graces of his team. Uh, and we'll say the, the Dwight and Jesse relationship is going to be one of the more interesting ones for me, at least in these next few weeks, to see how both of them kind of react to the other after the way that Justine vote ended up going down. But I like each of their impulses to play nice for the time being. Uh, and Dwight, I think, could be in a really good spot to be one of the freer agents uh, whenever that kind of opportunity, if it is indeed unlocked for him, comes about. So that I very much like to see uh, as far as his position is concerned. But given the other names on the board here, uh, the time has come for me to take Dwight onto my team. I really like Dwight. I think he's been a lot of fun to watch so far, but it is because of maybe some of that. I don't know exactly how young he is, but he gives me some of that... Uh, I'm forgetting the, the person myself now, but some of that uh, that Sammy energy or that Will Wall energy, where it's like because you, you you like you're you're an interesting character because you find yourself in these positions which, if you were older and perhaps a little wiser, would come more naturally to you. But instead, you're just figuring things out as you go, and that makes for great TV, but probably not you know, for, for keeping the, the show on the road for too long. I believe he's 22 years old, and I think that tracks with the, the backstory package he got where they were showing him during his, like, youth journalist career, and it was mm. I, there was a sign for the Obama 08 uh, campaign, and he was, like, a little kid at that time, which was, like, jarring to me because that, that, to me, feels like not that long ago. Well, I... <laughs> Speaking of jarring, we also had the, the Mitch McConnell yes. jump scare uh, in that too, yeah. Yeah, if you can survive being in the same room as Mitch McConnell, I think Survivor is going to be a breeze for you. So uh, maybe a bit hasty here in taking Dwight off the board, but there he goes nonetheless. Dom, it is back over to you. Okay, so really not that many people left as options there. Um, based on who one of them is, I think we might be on the same page about a, kind of a low-key winner pick or what have you, but... Let me see. Give me. Hmm. I'll put this out there before you even make your pick. There. I'm actually now grateful that you gave me the opportunity 
to go first in this draft because I would be very, very torn if I had to make the last pick of this draft uh, huh. without without tipping my hand too much. Okay. I guess I'll take Carla off the, the board here. Uh, just because, again, she's someone who finds herself as the swing vote, despite, and I think this is one of the most compelling early storylines someone can have, is where someone doesn't really have much confidence in their ability to make all of these different connections coming in, but they do, and they find themselves suddenly in this position of having to choose between all of their new friends. Um, I guess I'm almost taking Carla at her word that that's going to be a problem for her going forward, even if it hasn't been so far. And even though from what little we've seen on the Blue Tribe, where most of it has been about her, um, it seems like she's doing a, a good job of uh, keeping all of those balls in the air at the same time. So Carla would have been one of the people that I was torn at torn between at the end uh, i'm very happy for you to take carla off the board here because i would not have been pick- should i be happy if you're picking someone i wasn't going to pick is that the right way of thinking about this okay or- this is this is why you don't out level yourself by doing a must lose draft you just keep it simple stupid yeah that's a, a fair point i mean we started doing these back at the point where it was very rare that there would be anything more than like maybe three or four realistic winner candidates after the first couple of episodes. And so doing a must lose draft was the much more like uh, suspenseful kind of sweat worthy way of doing it, but perhaps not the savvy way in this modern era, Dom uh, of going about this sort of thing. But regardless, we've, we've come this far. Uh, Carla. Yeah. I mean, Carla has been tremendously impressive to me to this point, and maybe it should be uh, kind of setting some alarm bells off for me, just considering what has become of the other kind of like pre-merge super standouts from the last couple of seasons. But I, uh, at this time, I feel like I have pretty much every reason to believe that Carla could go very deep and quite conceivably win this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thought she handled the bead thing very, very well. Uh, you know, again, Cody was under a different set of circumstances where he really needed to make it happen. ASAP, uh, and Carla didn't have that same kind of pressure on her, but I thought she like not only did a great job at getting people to give her their beads so that she could get this advantage in the game. I think she may have gone so far as to like strengthen her bond with pretty much everyone uh, in that over the course of that process, like along the way there. So uh, really, really liked what I've seen out of Carla to this point and uh, would have been one of the two names that I would have had a very difficult time like ever taking off of the board here. So uh, there goes Carla, who incidentally, Carla is this season's Brian Scally so-and-so has not been voted off for episode whatever uh, candidate. And so that's always a a positive sign, at least usually uh, a positive sign uh, in Survivor seasons past, although maybe not so much for uh, Jeannie on 41 there, but uh, <laughs> there goes Carla. Well, uh, there is like a capture the flag aspect, right? Where that, that title then passes on to the, the next uh, chosen favorite. I think, yeah, I think there may have been uh, a, a switch made after Jeannie's early exit there, but I, I'm not 100% sure about it. Generally speaking, the Brian Scally favorite pick uh tends to i think marianne actually was the one from last season so quite a high bar to to reach there but uh tends to do at least pretty well scally uh a guy who knows what he's talking about and incidentally uh now that it has come up matt and scally going to be back i believe uh, to do the upcoming challenge 38 coverage on this very feed uh always love having them 
on. They do a fantastic job. Uh, and so anyone who's a Challenge fan, definitely be on the lookout for that as well. Uh, Dom. Well, uh, hold up. Isn't the Challenge 38 already airing? Or is I, it not? I, I believe there's like a sneak peek that either aired tonight or airs tomorrow night or something very very soon and then the season proper starts in like a day either a day or two or a week or so okay because it felt like the the moment that the challenge usa ended which by the way uh for anyone who if you watched that season uh this this will not come as a surprise if you didn't perhaps the worst ending that i have seen or the worst finale that i have seen in my entire history of watching reality tv in terms of just the how completely shambolic the the production uh, was for all of that. So maybe this was actually an attempt to just wipe that from the history books immediately and move on to something else and and clear our minds. But my impression was there was that, and then it felt like within a day we were already talking about the the ins and outs of whatever the the following season was. I mean, between the challenge proper, the challenge all stars with like the OGs, and then the challenge USA, which who knows if that's going to be a regular thing at this point. But there are like well, I, I mean, Colin, you you can see uh, the challenge War of the Worlds or whatever it is exclusively on Paramount Plus <laughs> whenever that that day comes. I I mean. Between those three iterations of the challenge as a franchise, I think it's got to be pretty close to like 40 weeks a year out of 52 that have a new episode of the challenge uh, going on in one form or another. Uh, But yeah, to not get too sidetracked on this, but to echo what Dom just said uh, without getting into specifics, that finale for the challenge USA was such an obvious clusterfuck and like catastrophe that I'm honestly surprised they aired the season, knowing that it was going to lead up to that. I mean, it, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I've said that like pretty much jokingly about like Redemption Island in the past. Like this is such a bad and boring season that like I can't believe they would even air this. I am, I mean that literally. In the case of the Challenge USA, like how do you air that season, knowing that that's how it ends? But regardless, I, I mean, and, and knowing that you have these people who like. Even your your winner uh, in I, don't know, I guess I won't spoil it just just in case anyone wants to go through all of that. But you have people from these these various uh, franchises who you know from their history, like they are not afraid to speak up if they think the production is uh, pulling some horseshit or if uh, there, there's some uh, flaw in the game that is not up to their exacting standards. They will call you out in real time and then on social media and and so on. And uh, so. You, I, they, they must have known the second that uh, filming around on all of this that th- this was going to be a complete shitstorm uh, when all of this eventually aired. Which I guess when you have this rapid of a turnover in your season staring, you can just move on to the next one and and hope everyone forgets about it. And also, uh, as Matt and Scally themselves said in their their very good recap of everything that went horribly wrong, like. They'll, they'll be back next season on our <laughs> of course they will be uh, so I, I guess there's no there's no punishment for putting out just truly one of the worst least professional uh conclusions to a reality tv season that i've uh ever seen I, I mean i would say the finale is so bad that if you haven't seen the season go back Don't. and just watch the finale like well, skip <laughs> everything leading up to that and just watch the finale yeah yeah don't don't watch the preceding parts of the season in a way that will let you get your hopes up for anything at the end. <laughs> just watch the finale to experience that singular 
reality TV moment for what it is. Right. Um, Look, I, I didn't watch the finale live and I wasn't spoiled on exactly what happened, but I did go in knowing, okay, this is going to be a shitstorm of one variety or another. And even knowing that, I was blown away at what a disaster it was. Yeah, I think actually this is one instance where I would have wanted to be spoiled about what happened going in because I had watched the previous episodes and I had had some like my, some quibbles with with some of it and just some of the inherent flaws in the format of the challenge as, as I perceive it. But, you know, no regrets about making it through, what is it, 10 or 11 episodes of TV up until that point. With that level of expectation in mind going into the finale, I would have been so underwhelmed and I guess angry if I had any emotional investment in it that it really would have soured everything that came before. But when I knew that, oh, wow, there's this shit, just this absolute shit show unfolding in real time here, that allowed me to enjoy that for what it was, even if the you know, a, a good ending that we wouldn't have been complaining about to the season would have been so much more satisfying in, in the other direction. Right. I mean, we are so many hundreds, if not thousands hours of hours deep into our like reality TV consuming careers, the sheer novelty of that finale is worth checking out because I'm guessing many listeners are on that same page. Yeah, how did we get talking about the challenge? <laughs> Don't remember, but either okay. way, we're probably a bit off track. Yes, anyway, back on track here. Uh, so three people left on the board. We have Owen and we have Jesse James, and <laughs> I will, I, I guess, allow that bit to continue. I will take Owen off the board here. Uh, it's it's think... my turn. Just for, oh. right? Well, okay, you do you. Do whatever you want. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wasn't going to cut you off because I thought you might have thought it was your turn and I wanted to know which direction you were uh, going to go there. So it is my turn. Uh, good news for you, Dom. I wasn't going to take Owen anyway. I will take, at this point, give me James, I believe. And this is probably heavily influenced by the fact that his team, again, just hasn't had the same opportunity other than Carla uh, to get highlighted when they're winning all the challenges and there's so much else that they need to get to even over the course of two hour and hour and a half long episodes. I get it uh, that the blue team is going to, I would say quite logically be kind of put on the back burner to prioritize what's going to be immediately relevant uh, to make really compelling early episodes here. Uh, but what we have seen out of James, I feel like has been, overwhelmingly maybe too strong of a word, but quite positive at the very least. It seems like the role he is playing in his tribe, especially when they're winning all of the challenges, is a very good one of just being on great terms, as far as we've seen at least, with everyone being the person who's asked to be in. It seems like every alliance uh, that is potentially going to come together if this team does indeed end up having to go to a vote anytime soon. I don't think James is going to be someone who like stands out as an enormous threat in like a post-merge situation. Uh, and just more generally, I get great vibes from James based on, again, what admittedly little we have seen to this point, but it, it, it appears to me that the others around him are picking up on roughly that same thing. So uh, feeling good about James overall, but the time has come for him to join my team in the must-lose draft. Yeah, I think you gave... Uh, an excellent articulation of why he is maybe not an, an obvious winner pick, but maybe a, a good low-key one and someone who, you know, I would have really struggled to choose between Jesse and James if I was in that spot here. Um, so 
yeah, I, I mean, clearly you, you are shuffling around these final few people in a different order than I am. But yeah, I, I think James is really a guy to watch. Someone who, on this tribe where we don't know much, we know that people really like James. And even this uh, all-women's alliance, which may or may not actually uh, follow through on that when they have to vote someone out, uh, kind of roped in James as this additional member. And uh, I don't think anyone there, from what we saw, has really anything negative to say about James, which is a great spot to be in. Um, and what little we've seen as viewers, like he seems just like a very likable guy, someone who is easy to root for, get along with. So yeah, uh, all, all positive signs there for James. And then now it falls to me to choose between, I guess, Owen and Jesse. And you, you already know. I wonder who it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, I will take Owen off the board. Uh, so I think he is. He was like the super fans, super fan coming in. He's someone who, as you said, has this big presence in the online fan community. I know, like, some of our friends just, like, know uh, Owen from, you know, Tulane or whatever. So, uh, a guy who, you know, we are, like, three degrees of of Owen Knight. You know, we are also invested in his uh, success. And I think so far, what we've seen on the show is, like, a mixed bag on that front. Um, We've seen him make some, some good first impressions, some bad first impressions, and then flip some of those around. And uh seems like the heat is off him for now. And I do like some of the ways he's tried to, like, get the heat off him once he's realized that he might be in a sticky spot. But um, I, I don't know. I, at this stage, like, he seems like a very plausible winner to me. But I think that, you know, Je- uh, both James and Jesse have a spotless record in this sense. Owen really does not, and so I'm going to take him out of the mix there. Yeah, uh, Owen is someone, that, again, that he was the one name I had heard people talking about as like being excited for this guy to be on the show because he was a, a pretty active member of like the online Survivor superfan community for many, many years leading up to this. I'm pretty sure he's a RHAP patron, uh, and I went in knowing that I'm probably going to be very predisposed to liking Owen quite a bit and kind of going out of my way to not let that bias me. However, it is one way or another very much biasing me, I would say. Like, I I think Owen, as much as I know that I'm probably going to be inclined to be more optimistic in whatever situations arise for him uh, than I necessarily would be if I didn't know what I did going in about just his background as a fan, uh, I feel like, yeah, he did get off to a, at least on TV kind of rocky start. Like his name was indeed being thrown out there. We saw him get a vote uh, at that first tribal council, but he got the one vote from the person who got eliminated and everyone else uh, seemed totally down with him both before and after that. And at this point, it seems like Owen's spot in that yellow team is maybe the most desirable, if not easily the most desirable. I feel like he's crushing it kind of, playing the middle there uh i i would feel i think better about owen than pretty much else pretty much anyone else on that team to definitely survive if they have to go back to another tribal council or two uh anytime soon and then i just again by virtue of knowing that owen has been a super fan of the show for a really long time and seems like uh, a smart and super personable guy I, I would have a hard time feeling more confident in anyone than I do in Owen to if he can find himself in a great spot at any point in like a post-merge situation to convert that and play it well. So Owen was the other name that along with Carla, I would have had a very hard time choosing between if that decision had fallen to me 
at the end of this draft. So, yeah. And and that is the case, I think, in favor of the smaller tribes to start things off, where even if you make a bad first impression, that can be more lethal in the sense that, well, we got to vote someone off, so you, you end up with these either, like, classic templates for who goes home early or just these arbitrary reasons found for just getting someone off because everyone feels a little bit of the heat on them. But the other side of things is that if you survive that initial first impression, you can turn it around. And I think in a six-person tribe, things get a lot more fluid and you can work your way back into the mix. Whereas if you're on some like gigantic starting tribe, uh, you know, someone doesn't take kindly to you, which means you're not in the, the big day one alliance that forms. And so you end up on the outside. And then even if maybe a few people are fed to the crocodile ahead of you um, because you're you know, good in challenges or, or what have you, um, you know that basically you're on the outside looking in. There's nothing you can do to change it. All you can do is hope the swap, pray for the merge and so on. Whereas it feels like in the smaller tribes, you can really take none of that for granted. Yeah, and I think it is an interesting dynamic. And I'm not even necessarily saying this is what happened with Owen because I don't even think it is. But I think it has kind of transposed into a similar position of in a tribe of six, two pairs come together for the first vote and they eliminate one person from the other two. And then once they're down to five, that leftover person who was not in the two pairs coming together suddenly becomes a very important vote in plenty of timelines there. And I think Owen is kind of in that position without necessarily even being too far on the outs, if at all, uh, in the first place there. So yeah, feeling very, very good about Owen, despite my intentions to not uh, <laughs> let liking him on what I guess I'm going to call a, a personal level, although I've never met the dude, never spoken to the dude. I is it just knowing that I would be predisposed made me want to err further on the side of being skeptical. Uh, but I, I'm already failing miserably at that. So rooting hard for Owen and liking pretty much everything I've seen out of him to this point, uh, which Dom mm-hmm. Leaves us with one person remaining uh, who will stay undrafted. And I guess if he goes on to win, we both somehow win this must-lose draft, Dom. And that is Jesse. And I know I said that Owen and Carla would have been the last two people on my board here. But I certainly see uh, what you and I'm guessing many others see in Jesse to this point. And I think a lot of, honestly, what we said about Owen and several others uh, along the way here can be said about Jesse as well, where it it seems like with the possible caveat now that the Noel vote steal could easily mess this up, which is not the case for the others who have come up to this point. It seems like pretty much everything on this team has flowed, flown, flowed through flowed, Jesse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> flown is a different thing. <laughs> no, no flown is another also legitimate word that means something totally different. Right. Uh, so Jesse, I get uh, how he, wound up as the default pick here but i think he would have been number three uh on my overall draft board here so i take it just based on the other picks that you have made that jesse would be your gun to head winner pick at this point i i guess so and i don't really feel emotionally invested in the guy yet although i see why people are like i I see why that is working uh he seems to be playing a very effective game has all these good bonds with different people and was in some hot water with Dwight where you know he backs up him and then you know Dwight was uh, signing divorce papers or what have you, but um, it seems like that can or has been repaired and uh, it, it really seems like all the signs so far are pretty good for him. Yeah, uh, I would say as far as everything goes between Jesse and Dwight, uh, I think when we were talking about Dwight, this came up kind of in passing, but to return to this point, 
I really, as a fan of Dwight, not that I'm not a fan of Jesse, but I really hope that we get more kind of uh, testing of this relationship and that we see Dwight be very skeptical of Jesse, because I'm sure Jesse is doing a great job at making Dwight feel like he's a close and valued ally who he would never dream of voting out and just, you know, circumstances were what they were at the Justine vote, but hey, we're good now. I'm really hoping that Dwight is not at least fully buying into that, that he has opened the idea that Jesse does indeed believe those sorts of things and is willing to uh, view him as no less of a tight or loyal ally under certain circumstances. However, the vibe I have gotten from Jesse, and to be clear, I think this is a good thought process for Jesse to have, if this is indeed the way he's thinking, is given how that Justine vote played out, of course, Jesse's going to do whatever he can to make Dwight feel good and feel like they're back on the same page in every conceivable way, because I, I think to return to something we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, it probably is smart to want to leave Dwight around because of the challenge element and not wanting to go back to more tribal councils. But if I were Jesse, because I had to lie to this dude and like straight up blindside him the very first time that we went to a vote, even though he thought we were super solid, that would at the very least be lingering in the back of my mind as a loose end down the line. And I would frankly be surprised if Jesse really did believe in the idea that he and Dwight are like back to a hundred percent locked in allies. And I guess what I'm getting at is I'm hoping Dwight is thinking along those lines as well and is very skeptical of Jesse going forward. But we'll say I'm not even rooting necessarily for one more than the other. I'd just like to see both of them thinking along roughly those lines. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I really hope we do get to see a situation where something like that comes up, like if this red team goes back to another vote, I think that would be fascinating with Noel and the vote steal and the possibility that if Dwight is indeed skeptical of Jesse, this could indeed flip very, very quickly on the two people in the form of Jesse and Cody that it seemed like we're calling all of the shots leading up to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Dom, there we have it. Let's roll back through the uh, finalized rosters here, just in case anyone uh, doesn't remember, including me. So on Dom's team, we have Janine, Gabler, Cassidy, Noel, Ellie, Carla, and Owen. And then on my team, I have Sammy, Ryan, Cody, Lindsay, Geo, Dwight, and James. And again, for anyone who's missed it somehow to this point, these are must lose teams. So we are any, whoever drafts the eventual winner will be the loser of this draft. And then if Jesse does indeed go on to be the person who wins the season, Dom, we get to hold hands and both be co-winners. I think probably for the first time in the history of the many, many drafts that we have done together. So uh, <laughs> at, at least one reason to root for Jesse uh, among many others. <laughs> I'm nervous about how that phrasing sounds. I like Jesse and uh, You're would, fine. Be, You're would, fine. Be, would be very satisfied to see him win as well. Uh, Dom, one random question that crossed my mind that uh, now that we're getting to the end of the podcast, I feel, fl I feel comfortable floating to you here. We are now, I guess, uh, 11. This is our 11th season in a row in Fiji. 
over the course of however long Survivor ends up running, over under 0.5 seasons filmed outside of Fiji. Hmm. I, I think I have to take the under here. It, it, it seems like if it's never going to be exactly one or exactly two, right? It's either we make a permanent shift and some other country offers us a a good long-term deal and we go there and that's where the next batch of eight to ten seasons uh gets filmed or uh this is it like this is it until the bitter end here and even if it might be thematically interesting to let's say we know this is the last season we're going to go back to borneo or whatever assuming that's even possible which i don't know if that's on the table or not but like it, it really feels like they're in the mindset of we're here now we're here for good this is kind of a part of what the show is even is just having that that continuity in terms of where it is and the backdrop and what have you and like this is this is where we are now this is where our crew is like all of that kind of institutional memory is firmly here and we don't want to either start afresh on that regard or pay to fly you know hundreds of people over to uh some other remote location so yeah i think it's uh fiji or bust uh from now i i think i'm on the same page as you and maybe the Slightly more accurate way of framing it is seasons of Survivor where Jeff Probst continues to be the host, and that may just be every single season of Survivor, and I would hope that it's every single season of Survivor that exists for as long as they would go, but I I do kind of get the sense that Jeff and a lot of the other uh, crew members who have been doing this for as long as they have like the kind of... Um, balance is the wrong word, but the ease with which they have uh, gotten into like the flow of filming in Fiji. I don't think they think that the location matters that much. I certainly used to think that the location didn't matter that much. And I'm, if we end up doing nothing but Fiji from now until the end of time, that's pretty much just fine with me. Uh, but for whatever reason, the thought crossed my mind and I wanted to hear what you had to say about that. Uh, so two other things very quickly before we head out of here, uh, a couple of just kind of random notes that I had, uh, both incidentally, from the Justine Tribal Council. First of all, Dom, uh, just a fun bit of Survivor trivia that I saw on Twitter. Big shout out to Ben Kessler on Twitter for this poll. A little Survivor scoregami for you here, Dom. Uh, Justine became the fourth person in the history of Survivor to be eliminated by a vote of three to one to one. A very strange and borderline unprecedented vote. Uh, so thought that was cool. And just for the... Historical. Actually, I'll give you, Dom, an, an opportunity to answer. Do, do you know any of the other people who were eliminated three to one to one? Absolutely not. Okay, we have. Uh, now that I now I of course need to remember. Okay, I, I believe I have all of them. Uh, we have Aaron from China, uh, a season that we semi recently covered over on the Patron feed, and maybe could have gotten that one uh, off the top of our heads. But even after seeing that Aaron was one of the answers, I still didn't remember that that uh, was what happened to him there. We have. Natalia from David versus Goliath was for reasons I also cannot begin to describe to you. I don't remember what, how it played out this way, but she was eliminated three to one to one. And then Dom, uh, along with Justine, who was the fourth person, the original person who was voted out three to one to one all the way back in exile Island, Shane powers. How about that? Yeah, uh, sure. How about that? Yeah, indeed. All right. Uh, and then the only other thing that I wanted to say is at that Justine vote, I totally loved that we got, at long last, 
a flashback as Jeff was in the middle of reading the votes. I, I this has been something that you know, longtime oh listeners. Yeah, here I know, oh, I know, maybe. Dom, you're sick of hearing it. <laughs> I know, I'm sure plenty of people out there are sick of hearing it as well. Uh, this is something I have at least personally been clamoring for for a long time. I feel like the storytelling possibilities that are on the table if you're willing to go to flashbacks at points like that, or even later, like I, I would totally be down with they show all of the votes and then do a long flashback where people can really lay out the big twists and turns of how we got there. And it's a blind side to the audience. It's a blind side to the person getting eliminated, but we actually get some clarity on some of how the, the gameplay led up to that point without the editors needing to be like super deceptive because they didn't want to tip anything. Uh, I think this is a, another step in a long series at this point of steps in the right direction as far as the editing of the show has been concerned over the last many, many years. So uh, really, really excited about that kind of next evolution of potentially flashbacks playing a, a bigger role because I think the, they can keep leaning even harder into them and they will only continue to be rewarded. Uh, we will track that story and I'm sure I'll be annoying about it in some future podcast as well. Uh, Dom, anything else from these first few episodes that uh, was on your mind that you wanted to get to? Uh, I'm all out. All right. Uh, I believe that is going to do it for us here. Oh, one super final note uh, that, <laughs> that because this is such a rare occasion, I did want to state publicly, uh, Dom, over the years, every so often, there's only a handful of people. I don't even know the exact count. I don't know who's even in this Hall of Fame and who is not. But I am making another official induction to the rarefied air territory of Survivor alumni who are extremely good at Twitter. This is I'm, I'm talking like... Gabby Pascuzzi, uh, over Sophie Clark, who's the original. Yes, yeah. yeah, Stephen, uh, Tyson, Rob, I think are all in the mix there, but frankly, not many others. Uh, I would say a new talent has graced us, and it is someone from Survivor 42, Zach Wurtenberger. Welcome to the Survivor alumni who are extremely good at Twitter Hall of Fame. Uh, I have been loving what I've seen out of this kid, so uh, happy to have that on the official record as well. I'm sure everyone cares deeply. Dom, uh, I think that is going to do it for us here. No, I, I will say, I feel like the whole uh, metagame around Survivor Twitter is that there are people who, when the cast is announced, will just follow all 18, all 20 people, and usually... They will get called in rough boot order. Uh, so if you are someone who goes out that early, you really have to be uh, punching above your weight in order to stick around. I think Zach is doing an admirable job of uh, rewarding all the people who have stuck with him uh, for, for thus far. I, I mean, Zach is absolutely crushing it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so there we go with Survivor 43, first few episodes, must lose draft, great times. Dominic, uh, the only other thing that I wanted to say is we do have up on Netflix now a new season after 20 some years or so of the mole. Uh, have you watched those first five episodes? I have not. I'm told that you have to watch at least the first two episodes because the first one really drags and is not a good representation of the rest, but then it really picks up from there and, and is worth the effort. So I will put that to the test for myself, hopefully within the next few days. All right. Uh, I have watched them. I enjoyed them immensely. I don't know that we're going to be getting in like a mid season recap, but when I, I think it's just coming out in two batches of five, I hope at least it's coming out in two batches of five episodes each. So somewhere down the line, uh, that could be something we could 
quite conceivably be talking about uh, on this very podcast feed. So I uh, would recommend that to people as well. I, I, I would echo that sentiment that the first episode is probably the slowest, but I still liked it a great deal. And then it really, really picks up from there. Uh, so strong recommendation from at least me uh, for the new season of The Mole. And similarly, a Dutch version of The Genius has now, uh, at least the premiere episode at the time of this recording, has made its way onto YouTube. Uh, I have retweeted uh, the, the link to that, so go find me on Twitter, at Colin Stone, uh, if you would like to watch that. I it's certainly very compelling stuff, although uh, the shorter episode runtime and maybe a bit of a more confusing game uh, for a season opener than I would have liked to see in a perfect world, but just thrilled with the fact that the Dutch genius exists in the first place and also would not be surprised if we are in here someday uh, talking about how all of that ends up playing out. And then, of course, Micronesia going on over on the Patreon feed at patreon.com slash Dom and Colin. Uh, but one more time, I'm on Twitter at Colin Stone. He is on Twitter at Dom HRV. I am fresh out now. Dom, you can finally go to sleep. Uh, thank you, everyone, who has made it this far. We will talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody.